Subject to the Holy Spirit, man. Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We're doing, um, in uh, October, so all these ghost stories. So let's talk about the real ghost, man. The Holy Ghost one. That's who we're talking about. So we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. How many know life is hard? Anyone? Anyone at all? Right. Muhammad Ali, a famous quote. Said everybody has a life plan until life punches them in the face. <laughs> life disorients you, life hits you, life things happen. Jesus is so good though, is he not? Let me try this side of the room. Jesus is so good though, is he not? Amen. He doesn't leave us orphans, Christian. He doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't just leave us like with some knowledge of something that he did long ago, he leaves us with power to experience that and to live it. He leaves us with an ability. He gives us his spirit who brings forth into our lives the overcoming victory of everything that he did. And we can know him and we can experience him. So just to give you a couple of lead-ins here. So John is probably my favorite gospel. If you want to read one gospel multiple times, I highly suggest John. And at the end of the book of John, um, well, particularly Matthew, or John, Matthew, John chapter 14, excuse me, 15, 16, and 17, Jesus is giving his disciples graduate studies. He's been with them for three years. He's lived with them, walked with them, talked with them, demonstrated with them, all of this. And in these last few chapters of the book of John, he's instructing them that he's leaving. He's telling them, that I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be turned over into the hands of the Gentiles. They're going to kill me, but don't worry. I'm going to rise on the third day. And it just went whoop right over their head. They were like, okay, cool, Jesus, that's awesome, you know, whatever. And they didn't see it coming, even though he told them. But in John 14, 15, 16, and 17, he's instructing them. And the core of his instruction before he's leaving is he's emphasizing the Holy Spirit to them. He's telling them. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. First thing he says is, if you love me, do what I say. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say, right? So he's like, if you love me, then demonstrate your love for me by following me, by doing what I ask. And he says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will be with you forever. In other words, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. Cultural, so we have the world's culture, we have the kingdom's culture, and we have church culture. Jesus isn't in church culture. Jesus isn't in the world culture. Jesus is in kingdom culture. We create cultures within our churches that are not necessarily the culture of the kingdom. God wants his churches to be kingdom-centered. He wants his churches to produce kingdom power. He wants his churches to produce everything that is relevant to his world on earth as it is. Are we with me? Everything that's in church culture is not necessarily kingdom culture. We think it is, but it's not, right? Many people have been hurt by churches. Many people, there's a lot of pain, and they think, oh, well, the church culture must be the kingdom culture. The church culture is not the kingdom culture. I used to work off these two ideas of the world's culture and, and, uh, and kingdom culture. And the Lord told me one time, he said, there's a third culture. And I was like, what's that? And he said, the church culture. 
I'm, not in either, I'm, in, I'm only in one of them. Jesus is in the kingdom culture. He's not necessarily in doctrines. He's not in belief systems. He's not in philosophies. He's not in mindsets that are carried forth with churches. The church is called to subvert its ideology into the ideology of the kingdom, being transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're to subject our thinking to the kingdom. We don't subject the kingdom to our thinking. We subject our thinking to the kingdom. That's how this thing works. And he says, pray. He says, love me. I'm going to give you another father, the spirit, another comforter, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. The world, the outside culture. He's talking about the cosmos, that system of thinking. It neither sees him nor knows him. It has no perception of him. And when it says knows him, it's the word epignosis. It has no experiential knowledge of him. So the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit because it doesn't perceive him. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit because it has no experiential knowledge of him. That's why one of the things the church is supposed to do is lead the world into an encounter. We bring people to, to, the, to the Lord through prophetic encounter. We bring people through the Lord through power. We bring through people. I used to have people in there like, I'm an atheist. And I'm like, so am I. So was I. Jesus saved me. And who's the Holy Spirit? And we go, hold out your hands. We put power on their hands. Their hands would start to burn. Their hands would they'd feel fire. And they'd be like, what is that? And I don't know. That's, that's, that's the Holy Spirit. Let's double it. Just had a guy two weeks ago. I was praying for him for his heart. Going in for open heart surgery. I didn't want to pray for him. Eh? Then I felt the Lord saying pray for him. I lay hands on him. I feel power going into him. Guys are not a believer. Or at least if he is, he's very nominal in the way that he believes. And then when I was laying hands on him, he's like, what are you doing to me? He's like, what, what are you doing to me? Because he could feel power going into him. I said, that's the Holy Spirit. Like, your job is to receive. That's your only job. You have one job. That's in this moment. You have to receive, right? So the spirit of truth, the world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor has any experience with him. But you know him for he lives in you and he will be with you. Acts tells us he'll be upon you. Holy Spirit is in three dimensions. Holy Spirit's actually in five dimensions. <gasps> Holy Spirit's not just with you, in you, and he comes upon you in power. The Holy Spirit is in time and space. That's the fourth dimension, length, width, depth. Time and space is the fourth dimension. And the eternity is the fifth dimension. So the Holy Spirit is working in our lives through five dimensions. What in the world? Yes, I know. It sounds really crazy. It's freaky. I understand that. We have access to two worlds. The Christian, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is the only being in the entirety of all creation that can stand between two worlds. We have access to the natural, and we have access to the supernatural. We have the mind of the flesh, and we can also operate in the mind of the spirit, right? You guys with me? No? No one? Am I over your head? Am I doing too far? <laughs> Is anybody with me? All right. Yes, all right. All right, Elevate, are you with me? We have a power that gives us this ability. And Jesus said, I will not leave you orphans. I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you alone. I'm giving you my power. Then he says, live in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it lives in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you live in me. So the big monster question is how do we live in the Lord? We speak this like it's a poem. Live in Jesus, abide in the vine, abide in Christ. As you, I abide in Christ, Christ abides in me, I bear fruit. Yeah, that's great. Cool concept. But what does that actually mean? What does that mean in practicality? What does that mean in real time? What does that look like? What is that? You cannot bear fruit of itself. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who lives in me bears fruit. And here's my life verse right here. You ready for my life verse? Without me, you can do nothing. I live by that. Without Jesus, I can't do anything. And so I'm absolutely codependent upon Jesus. 100% codependent. I am there at that place. That's where I'm at. How do we live in the Lord? We live in the Lord by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
When you live in the, when you live in when you're living in Christ, abiding in Christ, the only way you can abide in Christ is not through knowledge. It's not through gnosis. Gnosis, so there's different words for knowledge. Gnosis is one of them. Rhema is another one, revealed knowledge. And then there's epignosis. Epignosis is experiential knowledge. It's when you know something because you've experienced it to be true. You understand what I'm saying? That's epignosis. We cannot live in Christ merely through knowledge. We cannot live in Christ through disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are not going to take you around the bases. Spiritual disciplines are not going to happen. So in other words, we just force ourselves and we're always sustaining ourselves and we don't smoke, drink, or chew or hang out with those that do. Spiritual disciplines, right? Or some version of that. We, we do the checklist. We go up and down the checklist. The spiritual discipline will not give you the ability to, li- to, to sustain your life. You don't have the ability. You're holding up weights that's eventually going to come down on you. You need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Je- say it with me. Jesus. Oh, come on. Second service. Jesus has called me into the impossible. What he asks of you is impossible. Do you understand that? Be holy as I am holy. I have another microphone. Anybody want to come up here and talk to me about their holiness? Anyone at all? You want to come up here? Because you can't be holy. The only way you can be holy is in the Holy Spirit. There is no holiness without the Holy Spirit. There is none. You cannot manufacture holiness. Your righteousness is as what? Anybody know that verse? Filthy rags. The Lord says your righteousness, the best you can produce is a can of garbage. That's the best you can produce. You cannot be holy without the Holy Spirit. So what does that look like? When you're in the Spirit, anybody with me? When you're in the Spirit, you're filled with the Spirit, you're walking around, you're like, woo, I'm good. I'm holy. There's nothing going on here. You know, you're like wanting to give money away. You're like, hey, what's going on? You feel like a genius. You like you. You're like, man, I'm a genius. I like me. I like everybody. That's what it means to be in the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts, they thought they were drunk because they were acting like that. Right? So they're in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> another story. I want to tell you a story of my uncle. My uncle used to get drunk. We used to sit around at Christmas time, and all of us kids would be waiting because as soon as my uncle got drunk, he broke his wallet out and he started giving out money, right? And we'd all be like, how many beers has he had? How many beers? And so we wouldn't go and talk. Once, once, once my uncle had about three or four beers, we'd he'd be like, where are you boys at? All you boys come around here. And he'd be handing out 20s, you know? <laughs> He's just giving it all away. So what happens when you're in the spirit, you're in another world, you're another person. You can't be holy in and of yourself. You can't. You can't. So what does that tell you? That tells us two things. Number one, it should alleviate the burden upon yourself of trying to force yourself to be someone you cannot be in yourself. Then the second thing it should do, it should instruct you to live your life in and of the spirit. Twelve times in the New Testament, it tells us to walk in the Spirit. Eighteen times in the whole of the Scripture, it tells us to be filled with the Spirit. That number of verses is called a meta-theme. There are themes in the Scripture, and then there are meta-themes. A meta-theme says, pay attention. So when it's telling you to pay attention, that we are to live in the Spirit, we are to walk in the Spirit, we are to be filled with the Spirit, that's not a one-time event, that's a habit. We are to practice the presence We are to practice getting in the spirit. We are to live our lives from the center of the spirit. So full disclosure, how am I doing on that? I try to get myself into the 60 to 70 percentile range. Like you don't pray every day. Man, I pray all the time, man. But if you're honest, 
what you're trying to do, it's, it's very difficult in a world of distractions to be filled with the Spirit 24-7. Maybe you're more holy than I am, but it's very difficult to be filled with the Spirit 24-7. Is there anybody here that can tell the truth? I mean, anybody here want to tell? Anybody here? Well, I'm in the Spirit 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No, you're not. Where's your wife? Let's ask her. Where's your kids? Let's ask, her. Let's ask them. No, you're not. But you can be if you choose to be. What I feel is that life overwhelms me and the distractions, the cares of this life take me, a lot, take me out of where I want to be. But that well is available to me anytime I want it. There's a well given to you, Christian, that's full of living water that you can activate anytime you want. The only one that keeps you out of that river is you. The only one. That's available to you anytime. The Holy Spirit is available to you. So, every, so abide in me. So the way, we live, the way we live and abide in Christ is through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no other way to live in Jesus. There's no other way. It just it doesn't exist. How do you know? Because I've tried. I've tried. I've jumped the rope. I've done the disciplines. I've done this. I've done that. I've done that. You know, put your hand on your head. You know, I've done I've done one of these, you know. You know, I've done everything that's possible. And I can't and my righteousness cannot produce the holiness or the kingdom of God. I don't have it. But in the spirit, with him, it comes every single time. Jesus doesn't do it with you, or Jesus does it only with you. Holy Spirit, say it with me. Holy Spirit. It's going to wreck some of you. The Holy Spirit will not do it without me. And I cannot do it without him. The Holy Spirit is not doing anything in your life without you. The big misnomer of the Christian church is they think God's going to do something for them. He's not doing anything for you. He's already done it on the cross. And now we are commanded into a partnership with him. If you want the Spirit of God to move in your life, you have to partner with him. If you want destiny, you have to partner with him. If you want to manifest inheritance, you have to partner with him. You have an inheritance. You can't even manifest inheritance unless you partner with him. You have an inheritance in the saints. You have an inheritance in this world. Your inheritance is in his name. I told first service just to be really simple and quick. Part of your inheritance is peace. Jehovah Shalom, that's his name, right? Anybody with me? There's many names. God reveals his nature through his names. He's Jesus. He's Jehovah saves. Salvation is revealed in his name, but we are born of the what? The Spirit. You cannot know the inheritance that is available to mankind without the Holy Spirit. You cannot know the inheritance of the believer without the Holy Spirit. You don't get saved just because Jesus saves you. You get saved when you give yourself. You even have to participate in salvation. You have to believe in your heart and speak with your mouth or you're not saved. Intellectual conversion does not represent conversion of the heart. Intellectual agreement does not represent conversion of the heart. You must be converted of your heart. It doesn't that you intellectually believe. That's James. You believe. Well, good for you. The demons in hell believe. So what? Belief is not of the mind. It's of the heart. That's why when you get born again, it's even a mystery to the mind. People start always asking, am I saved? Am I saved? Am I really saved? Am I saved? Am I saved? Because it's not of the mind. It's of the heart. And I'll ask him, is Jesus Lord? Oh, yeah, Jesus is Lord. Like, is there something different about your life? Yeah, this is different. This is different. I'm like, you're born again. You're saved. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. You can do nothing without the Holy Spirit. You can't. So Jehovah Shalom, peace is our inheritance. That's just one of his names. So it's in our inheritance. But I cannot manifest peace without the spirit of peace. I cannot bring forth my inheritance without participation with the Holy Spirit. I have peace. Peace is already in me. But I can walk around like an anxious freak until I activate the inheritance that is already mine. Does this make sense to any of you? You have, the, you have Jehovah Shalom. Holy Spirit, come now. Holy Spirit, I just ask for your peace. ask for your comfort. 
ask for your guidance. And the Spirit of God comes and he makes known. But I have to participate. You see the participation? You see the activation? It doesn't happen by default. It just doesn't. You have to step up and you have to step into your identity. The way we live and abide in Christ is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's been given to all believers. You were born by the Spirit. You were sealed by the Spirit. And he is the witness within the heart. So we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Oh, yeah. Ons, 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 ons. That's right. So when the Holy Spirit comes into you, every believer gets the Holy Spirit. It's called charisomai. Say it with me. Charisomai. Right? So the Holy Spirit seals your heart, and he comes into every believer. Every single believer, Presbyterian, Baptist, Pentecostal, whatever, they have the Holy Spirit, but they're born again. That does not mean the Holy Spirit is active in their life. Charisomai merely means the abiding potential. When you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into you with the abiding potential of the kingdom. Charisomai must become charismata. Charismata is when the the charisomai comes alive and begins to flow through your life. Charismata is the root word of all of the spiritual gifts. Charis, spiritual power moving in love. Mata, gift in motion. So it is spiritual power moving in the form of a gift in motion. Charismata. Charisomai is merely the abiding potential. So there's a lot of Christians that have charisomai but don't have charismata. Charismata is the manifestation of the kingdom. Charismata is the manifestation of my inheritance. Charismata is the manifestation of everything that belongs to me in Christ. Charismata is the manifestation in the pursuit of my destiny and my purpose. That's why we have a, we have a bunch of people just sitting around rocking back and forth because they have charisomai. And they're saying, well, if God wanted me to do it, he would already do it. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. God's not going to do anything without you. We just learned that, right? He doesn't do it without you. You can't do it without him, and he's not doing it without you. It's participation. So long as you think you know what you're doing, the Holy Spirit's just going to eat popcorn and watch you. He's just going to engage you. He's going to watch you. So long as you take the matter upon yourself, nothing's going to change. You have to engage with him in order to manifest the Spirit. The whole, say it with me. The Holy Spirit is not an accessory. He is everything. The Spirit of God is not an accessory. We do fire starters. We come and we do a quick activation. We give you a potpourri. We give you the taster of the kingdom, show you what the Holy Spirit is. One of the first things I tell people, I'm like, look, I'm not looking to give you trinkets for a keychain. You know, I'm trying to bring you in to experience the encounter that is yours by right of inheritance. It is through these encounters that you can manifest your destiny. Anybody want destiny? Yeah, it's, yeah exactly. Come on. You're not doing it without the Holy Spirit. Write that down. Not going to happen. Destiny's over my life. I don't doubt it. You're born of destiny. You're born. The blood of a king is in your veins. Of course you have destiny. You're a royal son and daughter. Of course you are. But you're not getting there by human effort. I got news for you. Look around. Well, God's going to bring my destiny to pass. No, he's not. Not without you. Write that down. How do you know? I've been doing this a long time. I've heard every, every placating, nonsensical Thing that the church can possibly say. I've heard all of the arguments of the church culture, but the church culture's inability to produce kingdom culture is the problem. Kingdom culture is my destiny. So when the church culture cannot produce destiny in scale, then there's something wrong with the church culture. There's something wrong. Our doctrines do not produce destiny. They don't. Nothing wrong with doctrine. You against doctrine, pastor? No, I'm not against doctrine. I'm all in on doctrine. We are ministers of the new covenant in spirit, not in word. That's what it says. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. It's not either or. 
What we've done is we've circumvented and subverted the spirit to doctrine, or we've circumvented and subverted the spirit to our own ideologies, our own preferences, our own philosophies. It's not about that. What does the Lord want? I'm going to tell you what the Lord wants. He wants spirit-filled believers. That's what he wants, period. They that worship the Lord must worship him. How? Come on, help me out. Exactly. We're to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, not in tinkling symbols, right? It's not about our preaching. It's not about my skinny jeans, even though I don't think these are too skinny, but skinny jeans. In the smoke machines, it's not about that. That's all, poor. That's all good. That creates an atmosphere. But at the end of the day, if we're not producing spirit-filled believers, we are not producing what the Lord wants. The Father is looking for worshipers in spirit and truth. What does that mean? Exactly. Exactly. That is the exact question. What does that mean? So it's the, the, the engagement and the rule. Or the, My job is to say, what, what, how do we do that, Lord? How do we produce spirit-filled believers? If that's what you want, and this is the house, this is the factory of the kingdom, that's what the church really is. Church is a celebration center. Nope. Nope. Church is a house. Nope. You can maybe call it that. But at the end of the day, the church is commanded to produce. Produce disciples. Talmudim. We are commanded to produce disciples, not converts. <laughs> he didn't tell you to produce converts. Conversion is part of discipleship. We are discipling people into the kingdom. That's the command. When at the end of the day, the church has to answer for this. I have to answer for this. Yeah? I have to answer. It's like, what is it that the Lord wants? Well, I produced the celebration center, Lord. I produced a, you know, a religious institution that was known far and wide within the city. Who cares? Did you do what I told you to do? Produce people in spirit and truth. For such, what? Anybody know the verse? The Father, what? Come on, help me. Seeks. So the Father is seeking what? What is he seeking? Spiritually activated people. And well, we could define that. No, the Bible defines it for us. The Bible, we don't need a definition of what spirit-filled means. It's, de it's defined. The Holy Spirit is not an accessory. He is everything. He empowers the believer to live extraordinary. If the Holy Spirit is our empowerment to live the extraordinary, why do we settle for the ordinary? Isn't that the question? We need to ask these questions. If the Spirit of God is the power that enables me to draw from this kingdom, to pull on earth as it is in heaven, and to live extraordinary, then what, what am I doing? What am I doing? He's, why, am I, why am I settling for ordinary? Listen, you want to be ordinary, you're going to be in great company because that's 99.9% .9 of all believers. I told the school of the prophetic last week, you are the rarest of all Christians. You are spirit-filled believers, the rarest of the rare. 70%, I'm going to look right at the camera and say this, 70% of all churches do not believe in the gifts and the power. You think I'm kidding. Seven out of 10 do not believe in the gifts and the power. They believe it was for yesterday. 70%. 70%. I tell Christians that are born again, spirit-filled, I'm like, why are you going to a non-charismatic church? Why do you go to a church that doesn't believe in gifts and power if you believe in gifts and power? Do you know how rare you are? You're exceptionally rare because seven out of 10 Christians don't believe it. Then we have another 20% that believe in the gifts but don't see anything. 
We have probably 20, let's just, I'll put it even in a deeper fraction than that. 29% of the remaining 30% believe in miracles but haven't seen one in decades. Oh, well, you know, we fed the poor. The Kiwanis Club can feed the poor. United Way can feed the poor. The Red Cross can feed the poor. The church needs to do what only the church can do. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, and cleanse the issues of the flesh. That's what we're commanded to do. Yeah. That's when the church becomes extraordinary. That's when the church becomes a city on a hill and a light to the world. We need to do what only the Spirit can do. and only one who enables us to do. Spirit-filled believers are the rarest of the rare. Why do you sell it out? Why? Well, I like the fish tank, Pastor. The new church, our church has a fish tank in the hallway. They have vibrating recliners in the front row. And if I get there early, I get to have one of the vibrating recliners in the front row. I'm telling you, man. Charismatic Christians sell out the, they sell out the Holy Spirit for a pot of flesh. It's the spirit of Esau. Esau sold out his birthright. He sold out the knowledge of what he had for a pot of flesh, for what appeased him. He counted it as nothing, and he lost everything, and he subordinated his generations because of foolish actions. It's, it's wrong. It's just wrong. You know, Jesus has to become your non-negotiable. I'll give you another one. The Holy Spirit has to become your non-negotiable. So I don't know if you're a guest here or what. Go ask your pastor. Do you believe in miracles? Do you believe in healing the sick? When's the last time someone was laid hands on and was healed? Can you name it? I'll give you 25 that were healed here last year. We'll line them up. When's the last time a miracle took place? I'll give you, we, we could go on and on and on. We could spend out, we could spend two services just talking about the testimonies that we see in active presence, in active power. When's the last time someone was sick? Sick. Have you guys ever seen cancer healed? We have. You ever seen lupus healed? We have. Yeah. <laughs> the list goes on. The list goes on. <laughs> tumors? What tumors? You know how many tumors we've seen healed here? crazy ask your pastor you know ask 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 in front of the fish tank could you come meet me over here the fish tank can can I ask you a question you know can you know I know I love this fish tank or or sit in a vibrating recliner with them and say hey you know I just want to know where this church is as far as miracles oh we believe in miracles can you name the last time you guys have seen one well 1974 I think was the last one I have to check with the church secretary so we go back and forth in our records to find out when the last miracle was I'm telling you the world that we live in doesn't need knowledge. We live in the information age. You are not going to bring people to, you need, with this, this generation, it's demonstration and power. I'm telling you now. I'm telling you now. They don't care. Go talk to some 20-somethings. They got all, they got, they're, they're diluted with information. They need to encounter something that they can't explain. They need to encounter something that's beyond their understanding and beyond their reason. We had a kid down here in um, the park. Had a broken, gave his life to the Lord, right? And he had a broken arm. I didn't pray for him. My son was there, and, he, and, and the group he was with prayed for him. He had a um, broken arm. They felt like they went out, they did treasure hunting. He said, okay, a kid with a red hat, broken arm, skateboard, whatever. I can't remember exactly the story, but they prayed for this kid. He took his arm off and started throwing a football. The kid, you know, if you're a skateboarder, you always have an elbow injury. He starts throwing a football, and his whole friends were like, whoa. And he gave his life to the Lord. 
Yeah. Had a woman here to heal the brain, like Easter. I mean, this is, there was others after that, but there was a woman healed from brain. Where's Mimi? Do you hear Mimi? Grandma's here, right? Um, Mimi's mom's here. But Mimi brought her goddaughter here. Um, crazy story. Won't get into the whole thing. Um, her, she, I, I, total, like, atheist, denying Jesus, doesn't want anything to do with it. Tons of damage in her background. Tons of damage. And she had been through a really bad tragedy. Her body was just broken from this car accident, which I didn't even quite see it because she had recovered a lot. But she had a big scar here. And she talked, a little, uh, she talked a little slow. I wasn't really sure where she was coming from. But, you know, she talked clear. I didn't notice that there was anything wrong with her. And, um, and she's telling me all this stuff. And she's like, look, don't talk to me about Jesus. I don't want to hear about Jesus. And Mimi, your beloved daughter, was saying, please, Pastor Kevin, please talk to her. You know, she needs Jesus. Please talk. And I'm like, all right, I'll go talk to her. She's like, I don't want to hear about Jesus. She's like, don't talk to me about Jesus. And I said, well, is it okay if he talks to you? And she just looked at me and she goes, well, Okay, so I gave her a word. I said, let me give you a word. And I started giving her this prophetic word. And um, then she opened up her heart even more, and she starts telling me all this stuff that happened to her. And immediately, I feel the Lord. I have the Holy Spirit. I know I'm going to pray for this woman. And she's been in a car accident. She has partial use of her left arm, and she's got a ton of things that are wrong with her. And I hear the Holy Spirit say to me, uh, and I know he's going to want me to pray, so I'm like, okay, how do you want me to pray for her? And I'm thinking, well, we'll pray for the arm. Yeah, you know, I'll go for the low-hanging fruit. And he says, ask her, of all of the things that are wrong with her, what is the thing that bothers her most? And so I said, of all of the things that are wrong with you, what is the thing that bothers you most? And she said, I, were you here? You were here, Connie. You, yes, exactly. Everybody's gone. Like, we have these crazy miracles, and there's like three people in the room. It's nuts, right? Some of the most powerful miracles, there's not been anybody here. There's not been anybody here. It's nuts. You were here for this one. So I'm over here, and I'm praying for this, this woman, and uh, she says, I can't run. And I'm like, okay. And I said, why can't you run? And she says, my brain, the lobes of my brain don't communicate correctly. And all of, she's explaining the whole situation to me neurologically. And I'm like, all right. So I'm asking the Lord to show me how to pray. And I, this was super powerful. This was like one of the, I, I love it. And I laid my hands on her, and I felt like the Lord was like, prayed for here. And then I, I put my hands on her head. And I said, okay. And I heard the Lord go, tell her I want her to feel her brain vibrating. And so I said, okay, I want you to feel like your brain is vibrating. And I said, I want you to feel like there's vibration going on in your brain. And in the spirit, I'm going, why are you vibrating her brain? You know, I'm asking the Holy Spirit. And he says, I'm adjusting the frequencies. <laughs> what? Long story short, she running. Did you see that girl running? First time I ran with her. Were you here? Yeah. Ran with her down this way. Ran with her that way. Her eyeballs are this big. And I said, now you're going to do it on your own. And I let her hand go. And she ran back, and I said, could you do that before? And she just was like, I can't remember her name. I said, do you want to receive Jesus? And she said, yeah. And she received Jesus. Did she receive Jesus through my doctrinal theology? As I was talking to her about sin, righteousness, and judgment, redemption, right? <laughs> justification. I, she didn't receive Christ through any of that. She received through an encounter. She knew the Lord was real. And she gave her life to the Lord, and she started crying right then and there. Now, she's got other issues. Right? There's a lot of damage in her background, but the Lord, get, the Lord showed up, man, and he always does. He always does. We, we have to be a people of testimony, right? We, we, we have to be. We, we, you know, we have to be able to do something that no one else does, and we are empowered to do that. We should have miracle turnarounds in businesses. Miracle turnarounds. And we have stories like that all the time. Business is going under. Nope, wrong answer. 
Did Jesus give you that business? Yes. Is Jesus taking that from you? No. Then that's what we're going to believe God for. Miracle turnarounds. All the time. That needs to be our story. That needs to be what we speak. That needs to be what we bring forth. Anyway. Holy Spirit is the arbiter of the kingdom of heaven. He's the fullness of the government come down. He's the final answer. It's the final answer. He's the one who manifests the believer's inheritance. The presence, the power, and the person of the Holy Spirit is only relevant if you participate. Say this with me. The person, <laughs> I was in the middle of saying this sentence last service and somebody's walking in the door. And I'm like, the person of the Holy Spirit is irrelevant. And I'm there like, oh, no, I was just kidding. Say it with me. The person of the Holy Spirit is irrelevant unless I participate. The power of the Holy Spirit is irrelevant unless I participate. Huh? The person, the presence, and the power mean nothing unless you engage. Christianity is not a spectator sport. The Holy Spirit must be known, he must be experienced, and he must be honored in all things. Honor creates access. Without honor, there is no access. You don't honor the Holy Spirit, you're not accessing him, plain and simple. You don't honor the gifts, you don't have to ever worry about manifesting any gifts, because if you don't honor the gifts, you're not accessing the gifts. It's how we access our Father's presence, right? Just through, through honor, enter his gates with, and his courts with, exactly. Honor creates access. It's the same thing. We honor the Holy Spirit, we access him. Holy Spirit, I may not understand anything about you, but I honor you. And just yield, you'll feel him come right to you. Holy Spirit, come. He'll come immediately. The issue isn't whether or not the Holy Spirit comes. The issue is, is will you yield when he comes? Most Christians, they get a little tingle down their arm and they like push away from the Holy Spirit. Or they feel the power that comes upon them or towards them and they push away. Because they're used to a natural environment. And they prefer a natural environment over a supernatural environment. It's true. Because we're not acclimated to that world. That world is a different world. You start moving and engaging in the world of the spirit, it's like swimming underwater. You kind of like it, but nothing's familiar to you. You don't know where everything is. You don't know where anything's coming from. It's a different, it's a different arena. But what God has called us to be is he's called us. We stand between the two worlds, and we're supposed to be masters of both. But what happens for Christians, and this is why we create doctrines to isolate ourselves... You know, we try to keep ourselves over here because it's much more comfortable to be natural than it is to be supernatural. It just is. Well, we don't want to get weird. The only one that's going to get weird is you. The Holy Spirit doesn't get weird. If any weirdness comes, it's because weirdness was already there. And weirdness is with you, right? Say this with me. The Holy Spirit will never violate his word, but he will violate my understanding. Yeah, he'll violate your understanding. He never violates his word. And what he oftentimes does is he twists it. He's like, your, your understanding of the word is wrong. He never violates his word. Yeah. People speak in tongues. They're like, oh, I can't speak in tongues. I'm like, who told you that? Does the Bible say that? No, doesn't say that. Oh, who told you that? Well, that's their understanding of the word. And the Holy Spirit will not, he'll violate their understanding. They speak in tongues. It's like, how'd that happen? What happened like this, right? Your understanding is, it's your, it's your understanding or the perception you have. We have to renew our minds. So the Holy Spirit comes bringing gifts. Everybody say it with me. Gifts are good. Uh-huh. <laughs> if Jesus is given something, come on, help me. It's going to be good. The Holy Spirit comes bearing gifts. They're endowments for the bride of Christ. They're ornaments of testimony. So the Holy Spirit comes to do is to put ornaments of testimony on your life. 
You walk through what other people can't walk through. You overcome what other people cannot overcome. We're overcomers. We have victory in every, for, in, every, in every sphere. Victory to the believer is inevitable, but the gifts of the Spirit on the believer's life are ornaments of testimony. The gifts are given in fullness. So this is important. I'm going to take a moment here, and just a couple of moments, and I'm going to keep running, because can't, you can't do all this in like, a message, but this is an important thing. So the gifts exist in two places. So if you want a list of the gifts, there's a couple other minor ones, you know, Ephesians 4, but uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, they give, you almost a li- they give you a list of what the spiritual gifts are. But the way that it's translated, it's translated as if the Holy Spirit is um, deciding who to give what to. So, you know, Juan's a good guy. I don't know. Let's give him mercy. You know, uh, Lisette, well, she needs leadership. Let's give her leadership. Uh, Lupe, well, let's see, Lupe needs prophetic. Let's give her that. You know, that's, that's kind of how we train, we, the, the, the English reads, but that's not the way the Greek reads. The Bible was not written in English and Spanish. It was written in Hebrew and Greek. And so if we want to understand the original meaning, we must go back to the original language, and then we must break the roots. We have to break the words down according to that. So I'm going to read you 1 Corinthians 12, or parts of it, from, from, like the Greek, from what Greek would be translated, like original Greek. For the affirmation of the Spirit, it is given. So the Holy Spirit is given, for, the gifts are given for, to affirm the Spirit on the believer's life. That's what I'm telling you. For the affirmation of the Spirit, it is given the word of wisdom by the Spirit. And also, so the translation says, to another. The Bible doesn't say to another. It says, and also. So what I want you to understand is the gifts are not given piecemeal. They're given as a whole. Does the Holy Spirit come in fullness or does he come in measure? Question. Fullness. But he, uh, he's given gifts piecemeal. That's the way we teach it. That is not true. You have access to all of the gifts, Christian. I don't believe that. Well, you keep telling yourself that. You have access to all of the gifts. Some gifts will come more naturally to you because you're more naturally inclined. But you have access to all of the gifts. You can prophesy. I get people tell me you're not going to prophesy. I'm coming to Firestarters. You're going to prophesy. And people say I can't speak in tongues. They speak in tongues all the time. I can't have a vision. Come. We'll show you how to have vision. Right? We don't do this all the time, but I'm just, this, this teaching's on the Holy Spirit. So I want you to understand what he does. For the affirmation of the Spirit is given the word of wisdom and also alodei is the Greek. The word of knowledge by the same Spirit and also uh, gifts of healings and also working of miracles and also prophecy and also discerning of spirits and also different kinds of tongues and also the interpretation of tongues. And then it says, then we went into, then the backside of this verse, this is for some of you, some of you, like, this doesn't really matter to me, but it's important that I teach this because this is, <laughs> to me, this matters. It says, the Holy Spirit distributes to each one as he wills, as he wills, scombing over the audience, looking for someone who's behaving correctly so that he can distribute as his wills. That's not what the Bible says. It says he distributes willingly to those who are separated as his own. Hekastas is the Greek word. It's possessive. He distributes willingly to those he possesses. In other words, these gifts are distributed willingly to the ones that he possesses. Are you born again? Then the Spirit's in you, right? The Spirit possesses you. You are owned by Jesus. The Spirit's in you. So the Holy Spirit comes bringing gifts. So you have access to all the gifts. You don't have to access them. Charisomai, charismata, you don't have to. You can be like 99.9% of the church that doesn't even manifest a gift ever in their lifetime. 
or you can pursue fullness. If Jesus gave a gift to you, it is his honor to give you the gift. It is your honor to receive it. Do you know you dishonor a king when you reject his gifts? Do you know that? If you go to a king and he gives you a gift and you say, and you deny it, you dishonor him. So when the Holy Spirit is presenting gifts to us that relate to our sonship, our daughtership, that relate to the gifts that Jesus died in order for us to have access to, he shed blood for you to have them. I'll give you the common Christian argument. This is common. This is a big one. It's not my thing, pastor. The Holy Spirit just isn't my thing. This is what people say. And you know what I tell them? He's Jesus' thing. So it doesn't matter if it's your thing. It doesn't matter. If it's your thing, no one cares if it's your thing. If you're a Christian, whatever's Jesus' thing needs to become your thing. It's not my thing. It's just not my thing. That's my story. I got, came to Christ. I didn't know anything about lifting hands. I come to a church, and everybody's got their hands up. Woo! You know? Sing and praise, whatever. I didn't know anything about it. I'm kind of like, I don't know. And it's like lift hands, you know, and then I start reading and learning that I'm supposed to lift hands, I'm supposed to worship and all that stuff. And so I, I didn't know, and it, I felt really uncomfortable, I, you know, self-conscious. You? Yes, me. And so I'd, I'd start off, and I'd kind of be doing one of these. I became a latte worshiper. I'd have a coffee in my hand, and I'd be doing this, right? It's okay. Latte worship. It's cool. And then it became this. It became my thing because it's Jesus' thing. The kingdom and the power is Jesus' thing. The gifts, of the, the gifts of the Spirit are Jesus' thing. He's given them to you. They're yours. So it behooves you to understand, to receive them, and begin to operate in them because they are literally the keys that benefit your life. Without them, you cannot manifest kingdom. You must use these gifts. They're, they're given to you. The same structure as far as how God gives gifts is the same language as Romans 12. Because Romans 12 says, he gives to this one and he gives to this one. doesn't say that in the Greek. It uses alode and also, and also. So to Shelley is given the word of knowledge and also the word of wisdom and also the gift of prophecy and also the gift of tongues and also the discerning of spirits and also leadership and also a word of knowledge and also, and also, and also. That's what it's saying. It's and also. Powerful stuff. Gifts must become talents. Talents must become skills. We have gift in raw form. First thing you got to do is open up the gift and realize you have it, Right? But the gift becomes, you must develop the gift into a talent. In other words, you got to get good at it. And then the talent becomes a skill where you become a master at it. True. So gifts, we develop the gifts into talents and the talents into, skill, into, into skills. How does that happen? Well, that's where the church is supposed to come in. God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. We're supposed to train you. Why do we run schools here? You know why we run schools here? It's because it's what Jesus wants. He wants his people trained in the spirit. That doesn't mean everybody that comes to this church goes to our schools. doesn't mean that at all. But it doesn't matter because Jesus wants it. So, like, this is what he wants. This is what we're going to give him. Give Jesus what he wants. He'll pay for it and give you a tip. We want to give Jesus what he's asking for. I don't want to give him what I want. I don't want to even give him what the culture wants. I want to give him what he wants. That's the end of the game. The gifts must become talents. Talents must become skills. Imagine. Imagine. Sebastian. You begin to operate in the word of wisdom to such a high degree with the Holy Spirit. You begin to learn to access the Spirit of God and begin to draw on wisdom to such a high level where it's not just a talent to you, it's not just a gift to you, but it's a skill. And then almost every decision in your business, God speaks to you in its brilliance. And people look at you and go like, this guy's like a genius, man, I don't even know. You know, are you Steve Jobs? Are you Steve Jobs, Sebastian? You know, they're going to think like he's a genius. 
But it's not because he's a genius. It's because he has access to genius and he knows how to use genius. You have access to the mind of Christ, which is the mind of genius. He knows everything. He knows your biogenetics. He knows business structures. You name, there's not one thing. He knows the molecular structure of the universe because he came from his hand. There's nothing he doesn't know. There's plenty you don't know, but you have access to the mind of genius. And if you begin to learn that gift and begin to heighten that gift and begin to learn the access points of that gift and how to maneuver in that gift to where it became a skill, Word of knowledge, counseling gift, man. Have a word of knowledge. I don't know what to do, but the Holy Spirit knows what to do. Boom, word of knowledge. He tells you. Like, how do you know that? I don't know. I just know it. Word of knowledge. You get me? So it's not a lot more than speaking in tongues and laying hands on the sick. How about leadership? Leadership is knowing what to do and when to do it. Anybody need that? Anybody need to know what to do and when to do it? That's leadership. Holy Spirit, I need leadership. I need you to show me what to do and when to do it. And he's going to tell you. He'll tell you. Do this. If you learn to develop the relationship with the Holy Spirit, he will manifest that gift to you. And they'd be like, man, you always know what to do and when to do it. And you're just going to go, Holy Spirit. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the glory come from God and not from us. People should be amazed by that. They should be dazzled by that. And it's not to draw people to our own exceptionality. It's to draw people to Christ. How do you know what you know? I know what I know because of the Spirit of God. I know what I know because of this. How are you able to do that? Because of this. And what you're doing, you put salt on people's tongue. You make them want that. You know, you make them want what you have. We're the salt of the earth, right? So prophecy, so let's just go down to gifts. Romans 12. So we're just going to go down the, um, so what are the gifts of the Spirit? Prophecy, what's prophecy? Foretelling and foretelling. So it's foretelling and it's foretelling. It's calling out what already exists and it's calling out what, things that are not as though they should be. The New Testament prophetic, there are guidelines for the New Testament prophetic. The New Testament economy of the prophetic is not the same as the Old Testament economy of the prophetic. The cross changed everything. Prophetic made it through the cross, but it changed New Testament prophetic is based upon three principles, edification, exhortation, and comfort. So if somebody gives you a prophetic word that does not have exhortation, edification, and comfort, it's not of the Lord. I can tell, I can tell you, like, look, you're in a bad space. The Lord wants you to move out of this space. I can tell you that because that's an exhortation. But, I, but, I'm, but, the, but a New Testament prophetic is not like, you're in this bad space. I just see darkness all over you. I just see this all over you. You're not a genius, dude. Genius is, you're not a genius if you find dirt in a gold mine. The genius is in finding the gold in the gold mine. New Testament prophetic is not doom and gloom. How do we know that? John is the last of the Old Testament prophets. Jesus is the first of the new. Say, well, I carry the spirit of Elijah. I've had Christians tell me that. I go, yeah, like James and John. James and John, shall we call fire down upon these people, Lord, that reject you? Jesus said what? What did he say? Anybody help me out? You know not what? Right. What spirit was he of? The spirit of the devil? Uh Uh-uh. He wasn't quoting the devil. He was quoting Elijah. And so what Jesus was saying, that the, the spirit of Elijah does not, is, not, is not relevant to the economy of the kingdom that I'm bringing. It's not about calling fire down. It's not about calling destruction out. It's about calling destiny out and speaking forth destiny. That's the New Testament prophetic, just to understand that. Somebody gives you a word that's not that, it's not of God. I don't care what they said to you. 
well, they're an anointed prophet and they carry degrees from this university and they've been ordained by seven other prophets. I don't care. If it does not include edification, exhortation, and comfort, there is no New Testament. It's not in the New Testament economy. People get mad about that, but that's the text. That's the context. Old Testament, they were developed and trained in schools. This is why we hold schools. Yeah, power out. This is why we hold schools. In the Old Testament, what would happen? So just to give you an understanding of how prophets were developed, this is in the Old Testament. Um, Samuel began schools, and out of the schools came Elijah. Elijah was a product of the, of the prophetic schools that, I'm going to get off prophetic in a second, but this is an important point. Elijah was a, was, a, was a product of the prophetic schools started by Samuel. Samuel was the first of the seers. The age of the judges closed. There was a transition in economy, and judges closed, and Samuel became the seer, became a prophet. But Samuel started schools. And he began to foster the prophetic. He began to create a prophetic culture. And out of the schools that Samuel started came Elijah. Elijah continued these schools. And out of these schools came Jeremiah. Out of these schools came Isaiah. Out of these schools came Ezekiel. All of you see what happens even in the Old Testament. You see them shifting from judges. And almost the entire basis of the Old Testament turns to prophetic. Why was that? Because schools were started to develop and train the prophets. Schools were developed to, to develop and train, and not just train, they created a prophetic culture. The people were a prophetic culture. When Jesus showed up, what were they demanding? Prophetic signs. Why were they demanding prophetic signs? Because the culture had been trained to expect the prophetic. The, the culture had been trained to not just expect a prophet, but that the prophet needed to demonstrate something. And if the prophet couldn't demonstrate something, then they were not to listen to him. <gasps> Just saying. It's another story for another time. Service. So we have the gift of the prophetic. So this is the first one. I'm going to move into service. People, this is what people understand. They go, well, I don't have the gift of servitude, pastor. That's why I don't serve. Because I don't have the No, you all have the gift of servitude. You're all commanded to serve. What happens with the Holy Spirit is that what the Holy Spirit does is he empowers servitude. If, you, if you're serving and you ask the Holy Spirit to empower your servitude, anybody ever served? Let's just use this one. Anybody ever served before and you didn't really want to? And you're just like, Holy Spirit, help me. Anybody with me? And was it, did it go to another level? Yeah. Right. When the Holy Spirit empowers your servitude, it goes to another level. When the Holy Spirit empowers your leadership, it goes to another level. And he'll always empower it. You just got to ask him. Holy Spirit, help me out here. I just, I don't have it. I don't have it. <laughs> Exert, so teaching, all can teach. So God, the, whole, the gift of servitude belongs to all Christians. I don't, I don't have the gift of servitude. No, you don't feel like serving. No, you don't want to self-sacrifice in order to serve because that's what it calls for. Servitude requires for self-sacrifice. You have to sacrifice yourself in order to serve. So when you sacrifice yourself in order to serve and you ask the Lord to empower it, the gift of servitude comes about. You have the gift of teaching. All can teach. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a pastor. It's the word didaskon, and it means to stand and instruct. All can instruct. You can teach people how to ride a bike, right? You can teach people how to, how to love. You can teach people how to do what you do. You have a gift. All, can, all are teachers. You can teach. You may not teach what I'm teaching or in the manner that I'm teaching, but all can teach. So the gift of teaching, you have an ability to instruct at a higher level. The Holy Spirit will give you an ability to instruct. I'm trying to instruct my kids. Even when I was growing up, I had no clue what to say to my kids. I'm not even saying I did everything right. But I can tell you when I did do something right is when I asked the Lord, and I still do, how do I deal with this situation? And he'll tell me. 
say these things, do these things, don't do that thing. He'll always tell me. So the level of my instruction, the level of my teaching changes because I ask the Holy Spirit to get involved. And he knows more than me. He'll do the same for you. The gift of exhortation. You all have the gift of exhortation. Gift of exhortation is the Greek word parakaleon. So the Holy Spirit's name is parakletos in the Greek. And the gift of exhortation is parakaleon. So literally, exhortation and the Holy Spirit are one and the same. Exhorting, exhorting, exhorting. You can do it. It's over. We're Fritos, man. It's over. Who told you that? Get up on your feet. You are a daughter of the highest. It's not over. Did Jesus say it's over? No, it's not over. Go again. That's exhortation. I appreciate you. I value you. I honor what you're doing. I just want to encourage you that the Lord sees you. Exhortation. We should be breathing exhortation. Breathing it because it's who the Holy Spirit is. Exhortation. Parakaleon. It means up close and personal, which means you get right up. And say, I don't know what your circumstances is telling you, but Jesus is saying this, and I'm telling you God's with you, God's for you. It means get up close and personal. Up close and personal. Lisette, it's changing. It doesn't look like it's changing. I'm just using, I don't know, I'm using comebacks, but, you know, whatever. Lisette, you are a powerful daughter. Your father sees you. He's with you. You're overcoming. You're, you affect so many people's lives, and you don't even realize it. You know, that's exhortation. Up close and personal. And we're all like, yeah, you know. <laughs> Leadership, knowing what to do and what to do, how to do it, then mercy. Mercy means loyalty to the covenant. Is that crazy? This ileo, it's a word. Mercy is usually the word charis, but it's not translated charis here. So when it, this, is, this is important. I'm going to close real quick here, so just give me, I'm going to buckle up. It's going to go fast. You guys want to hear this? Yeah? All right. Okay. So when the Bible says, come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy in due season. That word mercy in the book of Hebrews is the word elio, and it means loyalty to the covenant. This is a powerful verse. This is one of the other ones that just really rocked me. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace, charis, right? That we may obtain mercy, which is another word, for, is another word form of charis, that we may obtain mercy. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace, spiritual power moving in love, that we may experience the loyalty to the covenant. Come boldly before the throne of grace that we may receive mercy, Lord Jesus, mercy. That's how Christians come before the Lord. Mercy, Lord, I'm before your throne. Mercy, give me mercy. It's not what he's saying. Come boldly before the throne of spiritual power moving in love that he might demonstrate to you loyalty to his covenant. That he may do what he said he's going to do. That he may demonstrate to you what he said he's going to do. It's a whole other story. First Corinthians, so words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Right? Knowing you, you ever, you ever been in the spirit and you give somebody advice and you're just like, wow, I'm a genius. I need to get my PhD in counseling. That was amazing. And then Monday morning you're like, what did I say? I can't remember what I said. Yesterday I was a genius. Today, what happened here? <laughs> Word of wisdom. You have access to wisdom. You have access to knowledge. These are ministry tools. All right? Faith. Faith means clarity and certainty. So faith is. Faith, say it with me. Faith has no feeling. The Christian's mistake is always looking for feeling within faith. Faith has no feeling. Faith is clarity. That's what faith is. Clarity of certainty. You don't know why you know, but you know that you know. You're not sure well, how this, but you're just like, I just know. That's faith. We lean into faith. Circumstances is telling you, so we have access to faith. If you look to yourself for faith, you've already failed. 
I tell this to people in the healing school. If you look to yourself for faith, you've already failed because you don't have what it takes to overcome what's in front of you. <laughs> have a woman in a wheelchair sitting in front of you going, she has terminal bladder cancer, you know, and let them tell you that like eight times. Terminal bladder. I'm like, I got it. Terminal bladder cancer. I understand. You know, give me a break here. I'm trying to get to the point where I can lay hands on this woman. You know, you don't have faith. You have a measure of faith, but you have access to the, you have access to the faith of God. Is God doubting anything? In the spirit, you have access to perfect faith. When you look to yourself for faith, you're going to deal with a measure. When you look to the Holy Spirit in faith, in the spirit, you're going to have fullness. You're going to have access to the clarity of faith. I always tell believers, when you're in an impossible situation, don't look to yourself for faith. I just got to believe it. It's not going to be enough. Have the faith of God. Lord, what do you say about this situation? Lord, what is your heart for this situation? What do you speak for this situation? He's going to tell you something entirely different. Entirely different. Gifts of healings, plural, Christian. There are healings of the spirit, healings of the soul, and healings of the body, plural. Working of miracles. Say this with me. Miracles sometimes require work. We have to work the miracle. You got to work it, right? Which means there might be some steps involved. People go, I need a miracle. And the Lord gives them an instruction. I don't need an instruction, Jesus. I need a miracle. Well, the instruction is towards the working of the miracle. The miracle requires a working. Some people need to get out of a financial circumstance and they want Jesus to just show up and deliver them. Jesus shows up and gives you instructions. Go here, go here, do this, do that. And all of a sudden the miracle, he worked the miracle. It's a working of miracles. Same thing, healing sometimes is a working of miracles. We have to work the miracle. Prophecy, the discernment of spirits. That's to understand what's of God and what is not. Discerning of spirits isn't walking around going, I perceive the spirit of adultery. I perceive the spirit of idolatry. That's not the discerning of spirits, dude. That's discerning when you're in a situation and you're not knowing what's what. You don't know. Anybody ever knew that you shouldn't have done something and you did it anyway? Anybody here at all? Anyone? <laughs> and then when, after you did it, you're like, I knew it. I knew I shouldn't have done that. Right? Discernment. You have to learn that when that, because when, the spirit speaks in a, in a subtle voice, different kinds of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. I'm going to take a moment on tongues because this is important. So again, I feel like the Lord, the, the devil has put muteness over the church. It's a spirit of mute. We say nothing about nothing. The culture decays. The church says nothing. Nothing. Good for nothing, we turn into savor. And one of the ways he mutes the church, charismatic churches don't speak in tongues anymore. That's the furnace. That's the furnace. What's the kiln that God let when he ignited the early church? It's the first thing they did. Anybody? Anybody at all? Is there anyone here? They were exposed to power and they spoke in tongues. Why? And fire came upon them because it is the forging fire of the Holy Spirit. It is the power to speak beyond your own ability. The devil, has, we have allowed muteness to come over our mouths. The church is dead silent on every single issue except those that we personally prefer. Then, of course, we have something to say. But if it matters to the Lord, we say nothing because we fear retribution. 
and we become good for nothing. We are salt without savor, and we are thrown to the streets and trampled underfoot. I told first service, look at the history of this nation. Nowhere at any time in 200 years has a government ever held the authority to shut down a church. Never. It has never happened. Never. Never. And yet they roll right over us, steamroll right over us, and pastors are just like, oh, oh, oh. It's true. Hey, right here. We didn't close one day. Not one day. My wife's like, what are you going to do? I'm going to point a camera at me and I'm going to stand here. I'm not telling anybody to come. I didn't even tell the worship team to come. I'm like, this is what we're doing. I'm like, why are you not going to close? I go, I will be found standing where the Lord has appointed me. And I have pastor friends going, preach from your living room, Kevin. Preach from your living room. I said, that'd be great if Jesus called me to my living room. Right? He didn't call me to my basement. He didn't call me to my living room. Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when he comes? The Christians placate right into the culture. Whatever the wind of the culture goes, there goes the church. We're the light of the flipping world. The church is, the world's in a panic, and the church is like, and they look around for somebody, and the church is over here panicking with them. Oh, oh, oh. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. We're like, what do you mean you don't know what to do? You are sons and daughters of the highest. Take your rightful place. Come on. Come on. What do you mean you don't know what to do? Fear is not of God. I don't care. Any, say it with me, any decision. Say it again. Any decision made in fear is always the wrong decision. He gets our churches to make covenants with fear. Oh, well, Romans 13. We need to submit to governing authorities. Oh, yeah? Acts said, is it better to obey you or to obey God? We are commanded to assemble. I'm commanded to assemble. I'm commanded to show up whether I feel like it or not. I'm commanded to preach the word in season and out, whether it's convenient or whether it's not. Read the history. Black plague in Europe. You know where the Christians were going? Into the plague. That's where they went. Everybody else is running to the hills. The Christians are like, who can we lay hands on? Who can we lay hands on? We have the anointing of God. Who can we lay hands on? <laughs> All right, I got an even better one for you. Ready? You will go before the assembly of the hall of faith. And this generation will answer. You will stand before Ezekiel. You will stand before Thomas, who was ripped apart with hooks. You will stand before these men of God who gave everything and stood their post. And what will our testimony be? Well... We had a virus that killed less than 1% of all people on the planet. And we closed our churches down for two years. You're going to say that? We will come, this generation will come before that assembly, right? I'm not telling you like if you got the issues, but the leadership, when the leadership collapses, that's the problem. God does not look at the people. He looks at the leadership. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, to the leader of the church of Ephesus, say this. And when the church's leadership placates, Jesus has a problem with it. <laughs> Read your Bible. People do what people do. I wasn't expecting anyone to come. I didn't care if anybody came. 
Jody and the team are like, no, we're here. I'm like, you're here? They're like, we're here. I'm like, hey, we may have three people. We may have two people. We may not have anybody. You might see me talking to the wall, but that's okay. I'm standing here. Heaven sees me. That's all that matters. At some point, we've got to realize what we are. At some point, we've got to rise to the occasion. <laughs> we have to. We are an unstoppable force, but so long as we make covenants with fear and we allow things to happen, that we, we have a constitutional right to assemble. The First Amendment, not the Second, not the Third, the First Amendment, the First Amendment guarantees the right of religious assembly. What is it? The first thing the founders of this country guaranteed was that we were to assemble. They assembled during the smallpox epidemic. Read your history. The church didn't close during smallpox. They were open. The church didn't close during any plague in its history of this nation. And there's been many. But all know, weak and powerless generation. Weak and powerless. Laodicean church, rich and in need of nothing, but you are blind, wretched, and naked. I say to you, use your money and buy salve for your eyes so that you can see. What that needs to happen? We need to have leadership repent. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I know. Protect your ego. Protect your ego. Right? My wife's like, what are you going to do? I go, I'm going to do my job. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to submit to the king that I serve. I serve a king. I don't serve a governor. I don't serve a mayor. I don't serve a president. I serve a king. That's it. Well, what you say is really hard. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Weak faith. We, we, this, our, our nation is, is devolving before our eyes because the salt has lost its flavor. Oh, I don't believe that. Well, then you need to go back and read your history. You're watching it because we have a weak and powerless leaders. Weak and powerless leaders who hold tremendous amounts of influence but are mute and will not speak. Leaders of churches of 30, 50, 100,000 people they have the sway over congregations of thousands of people, and they say nothing. Unless, of course, it's a social value that's close to their heart, and then they might say something. I'm telling you, heaven sees. We think that what is acceptable, the Lord just told me this. He said, what is acceptable in man's eyes is what is esteemed of men is despised of God. Just because men esteem it, Kevin, doesn't mean I do. Just because men esteem it doesn't mean I'm in agreement with it. We think that if people esteem it, God's in agreement with it. Who told you that? Just a thought. But then again, it's what I am. <laughs> I have lion's blood, and so do you. Rise up, lions. Rise up, lions. And lionesses. The lionesses were fiercer than the lions. They were. Lionesses are fiercer than the lions. The lion just kind of like, eh, if you know, something really bad happens, come and get me. You know, the lionesses are always looking for action. What's going on? Is that a hyena? Oh, no, that's not a hyena. <laughs> anyway, simple activations. I'm out of time. I'm over time. I'm ending. Yeah, I, I know. I have a small group of fans that go, go all day, Pastor. <laughs> Say this, manifestation, if you want manifestation of the gifts, come to our schools. We provide them for the purpose of developing you. Holy Spirit, so what you do is you begin to ask the Holy Spirit. It's real simple, guys. The cookies are down here. This is the beauty of Jesus. 
I can teach you at a different level, but Jesus gives you access to everything, and he puts the chocolate chip cookies right down here. If you know your right hand from your left hand, you can access the Holy Spirit. If you know how to say, Holy Spirit, come, you can access the Holy Spirit. It's so easy. He loves you so much, and he wants so much from you. All you got to do is ask him, Holy Spirit, I need leadership. I have no clue what to do. He'll give you leadership. The Bible says you will not know what to say in that moment, but when that moment comes upon you, you'll know exactly what to say. You don't know. You've got to take a test. You've got to take an exam. You don't know if you're going to pass it. Holy Spirit, I need your help in this exam. Boom. Genius comes. Another story. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Words of knowledge, words of wisdom. Be intentional. You want to activate spiritual gifts? Use them. Step into servitude and say, Holy Spirit, empower my servitude today. Step into generosity and say, Holy Spirit, empower my generosity. Step into mercy. Holy Spirit, empower my mercy. These are easy. This is low-hanging fruit. Holy Spirit, empower my exhortation. Cross the chicken line. Get over yourself. If it's not your thing, too bad. Too bad. Say this with me. Jesus is not interested in my comfort. He is interested in my character. Your comfort is irrelevant to him. Your character is everything because your character supports weight. And if your character can support weight, he can put glory on you. But if your character can't support weight, then he cannot put glory on you. That's why he's after your character. So he can put something on your life that can be sustained. It's not your comfort. It's not about comfort. It's about character. Honor those who are presented as gifts. So my wife wants me to do an activation. I'm not quite sure what activation I'm going to. She's like, do an activation. Do an activation. Just stand on your feet. Let's just do a prayer. We're just going to randomly do this. I don't know where this is going. Holy Spirit, where do you want it to go? (laughs) Okay. So I feel like he's saying he wants you to make a promise to him that you'll listen to him when he speaks to you. If you don't want to make that promise, don't make that promise. I feel like I just asked him. I said, what do you want to do? He goes, I want them to make a promise to me that they will listen to me when I tell them something. (laughs) Anybody want to do it? All right, let's just do it. I'm just going to wing this prayer. Just say, in the name of Jesus, I come before the court of my Father. The throne and the statement, come on, just lean in. And the statement, the environment of testimony. And I lay claim to my true identity. I'm a son or a daughter of the highest. The Holy Spirit has been given to me in fullness as a right of inheritance. I make a vow this day that I bind myself to him and I allow him to speak to me openly and freely. I may not understand what he is telling me, but I will engage him and I will listen to the things that I don't know and I will listen And I will obey to even the things that I don't agree with. I renounce my personal preferences and I yield myself to be a son or a daughter born of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and filled with the Spirit, which is my right of inheritance. So I want you to open up your spirit. You're going to feel power, right? You're just going to say, Holy Spirit, come upon me now. I just want you to feel power. You're going to feel peace. Some of you are going to feel electric. Some of you are going to feel calm. Some of you may feel clear. If you feel anything, just let that happen. Just let it go. Open up your spirit. Just say, not, not part of me, Lord, but all of me. And let power come upon you. 
He's sealing you with the promise that you've made. He's binding himself to you. He's agreeing with what, you, with what you've agreed to. Yeah. Restitution for past mistakes. He's going to give restitution for past mistakes. Yeah. Things that you did, you didn't listen to them and you cost you. And this agreement, God's going to take that as a, as a, as, as a, a permission slip. And he's going to give restitution for things that were past, that were your past mistakes. Holy Spirit. So I just want you to open up. I want you to receive that right now. Just let that come into you. Let that fill you. I want you to open up your spirit really wide. I want you to just receive this. So it's like almost going to be like you're expanding on the inside. I want you to let it go out really far. You're going to feel like your spirit's expanding, going out really far. It's an impartation. Let it go out all the way. It's going to go out really far, and it'll come down, and everything is going to get calm and still like water. So when it comes back, let it go out, and it'll come down. Everything will get down in peace. You'll feel peace, and everything will be calm like water. And when that happens, let me know. Amen. Amen. Come on. Yeah? You like that? Just say this. Holy Spirit, help me to get over me whatever my insecurities are whatever my vulnerability issues are whatever my egotistical issues are whatever part of me lingers in unbelief and doubt I give you permission to root it out to tear it down to pull it out and to build and to plant everything that you want in Jesus name amen all right, let me bless you one more time. Amen. Let me bless you one more time. Oh, come on, wait, wait, but wait, there's more. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. We have a prayer team available. Lioness that rises right up right there. I said, Lioness arise. She got right up on her feet. She's like... <laughs>